You're listening to Radio Ed, a University of Denver podcast. We're your hosts, Emma Atkinson and Matt Meyer. Welcome, friends, to a special holiday bonus episode of Radio Ed. For all about gifts, we're changing things up a little bit and hosting a roundtable on economics and cultural differences of gift giving. I'm Matt Meyer, and you'll also hear Emma Atkinson joining us in studio alongside professors Melissa Akaka and Ali Besharat from the Daniels College of Business. Welcome, Melissa and Ali. Could you both describe a little bit more about what you do at the University of Denver? Sure. Um, my name is Melissa Akaka. I am an associate professor in marketing um, in the Daniels College of Business. And I, my colleague here, Ali Besharat, we co-direct a research center called the Consumer Insights and Business Innovation Center. Um, and I also recently became the director of the MS Marketing Program. Oh, congratulations. That's me. Oh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> My name is Ali Besharat, Associate Professor of Marketing in the Daniels College of Business, also co-director for Consumer Insights and Business Innovation Center, which we refer to it as CIVIC. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. So today we're here to talk about gifts, right? Could you really quickly just share a fun or quirky gift-giving tradition that you share with your family? Oh, um... We used to do pajamas on Christmas Eve. Like I would let the kids open one present and it was always pajamas on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we recently started shifting the tradition to do pajamas on Thanksgiving because my brother would come and visit. Um, so every year we gift the kids, everybody gets a family pajama and then we take one big family photo. This year we're the Grinches. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I love that. Ellie? Yeah, same thing. Actually, for, on Christmas Eve, we all open one gift, and usually, usually our pajamas, and we wear them the next morning. And the entire family will go for a family walk. Yeah. In your pajamas? In, awesome. in our pajamas, in the neighborhood. Yeah. Kind of embarrassing, tacky, but we do it. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. Well, many cultures have some form of gift giving associated with the holiday season, and the form it takes often varies. In your experience, have you noticed differences based on where you are or who you're with? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, throughout my education in the U.S. and having an international background, meeting a lot of international folks, I've noticed different etiquettes and also preferences for gift giving. I know a lot of my Asian friends actually they have different agenda for gift giving. Like I was looking at some of the norms, they usually, and even in the Middle East is the same way, that they usually present the gift with two hands as a respect. Mm. And the courtesy is the recipient usually does not open the gift upon receipt because it's rude to open the gift upon the receipt. You have to wait until the gift is gone and then you open it and there's expectation for reciprocity and also the value comparison. So usually you try to exchange a gift in the same similar value in return of the favor. But in the U.S. usually people do not assign monetary values to the gift as much or we don't assess the value of it as much. So it's just a nice gesture and that was a sharp contrast. I noticed it here. Right. So with like a housewarming gift, Mm -hmm. you would bring a bottle of wine, but you wouldn't expect, you know, the person with the new home to give you anything in return, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I um, grew up in Hawaii and I'm half Japanese and I would and the the majority of people who live in Hawaii are of Japanese descent, Asian descent broadly, but many are Japanese. And one of the things that we do both from Hawaii, but also like that ties back to Japanese tradition is we give gifts when we travel and we give gifts on just kind of occasions where we don't see someone for a long time and we call them omiyage and they're basically a a gesture of just kind of like a greeting gesture or something that you bring back small when you travel souvenirs those kinds of things yeah another thing culturally speaking of that is you have to insist a few times for the recipient to accept the gift 
so it's not that on the first try everyone's gonna oh thank you so much for the gift you have to insist a few times and still my parents whenever we want to give them a gift they do not accept it they refuse as a courtesy that's like a culturally speaking and Asians are the same way then uh, you know that's just you know respect to the obviously gift giver to say that we really appreciate it being too humble and kind it says no no I don't deserve it but eventually they're gonna accept it but you just have to insist a few times <laughs> so you kind of have the differences with with gifts versus cash versus gift cards um, versus experiences in, in the course of your research or kind of through personal experience have you noticed that changing over time or is that something that has kind of developed in the U.S. just over the years? Sure I can take that so I mean research shows that experiential gifts are definitely better at maintaining and building a relationship than the material gift so there are a ton of research if you go back to the psychology they have established that and actually I was looking at some of the stats especially in the U.K. and Europe as well as Australia the experiential gifts are definitely getting more trendier and that trend has started picking up in the U.S. since 2018, so which was very interesting. And one thing I noticed that is they were trying to get to the bottom of it that why experiential gifts are better than material gifts, and they found two main reasons for them. One was the happiness about the gift, and the other one was the connection that it could allow to build. Even among teenagers, they found that as soon as you pass the age of 12, experiential gifts has substantial effect on the memory as well as the enjoyment of the moments you spend time with the family and friends as opposed to you know getting a material gift you, you forget and everything gets obsolete when you use it but for children between 3 and 12 still the impact of material gift was higher than the experiential gift that makes sense academic literature yeah like a barbie doll Right. right. That just makes your whole year as a little kid, right? Yeah, but for adults, definitely the impact of it was higher than material gift in terms of the connection and building a relationship. Is there any kind of difference in terms of expense or spending over time related between material gifts and experiential gifts? Yeah, so again, I did some research on that. So what we found that, like millennials, so Boston Consulting Group, they did a survey back in 2021, and they found that 78% of millennials still would rather their money on experiential gifts rather than material gifts. So this is changing. However, when Deloitte, a consulting company, did a survey back in 2020, they found that still 72% of respondents reported that they would still buy material gift as their last or some of their gift options to give it to recipients. But what is interesting is the number of, or the average number of gifts per customers is dropping in the US. So the average number of gifts back in 2021 that people gave away was 16 and is trending down to become a, a, around nine this year, the anticipation of it. So we see that, you know, it's so either people are purchasing more expensive gifts, which I doubt, or the nature of it is changing which was interesting. And also we see that last year there was an increase of 7% in the concert tickets and restaurant purchases as gifts that people gave away. So which is huge. That is huge. How much of that do you think has to do with the pandemic and the economic and financial consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, it's really hard to tease it out and only find the sole contributor to this kind of trend. However, I feel like COVID has something to do with it. People definitely stayed home for so long, their lifestyle changed unwillingly, and now things are kind of easing up and they want to go back and kind of enjoy themselves. And probably the moments of enjoyment, people assign higher weights to it because they missed it for quite some time and they want to get back to it. So I assume there should be some contribution of COVID to these positive trends we see toward the experiential gift. However, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint that this is the main driver of the trends. I would say one other thing that I think is influencing these shifts is this 
movement towards like sort of a minimalistic less is more kind of approach to material things could partly be in relation to COVID just because you're in your home for so long and you have so many things and recognizing that you know it's better to just spend time with people than it is to curate all these artifacts and I think that that is actually helping impact maybe the more giving more experiential gifts but also giving less gifts right like let's make the ones that we give more meaningful than having so many that the meaning gets lost among them right and I know for quite some time there's been a big debate about gift cards specifically you know is giving a gift card taboo is it too impersonal like how does that go in your opinion Uh, well if you ask my 13 year old she loves gift cards or cash she'll take either of them in (laughs) any form you can give them to her in so I think that that also depends kind of at the person that is receiving the gift Uh, gift cards are hard though because if you don't get them the right gift cards I mean there's tons of evidence that gift cards don't get spent and so there's a lot of lost you know, for the businesses, they have to keep them on their books. So they have to track the gift cards that could be redeemed. But at the same time, the gift receiver might not actually benefit from the gift ever. It just becomes a bunch of cards in a drawer or something. Wow, that's so interesting. I had no idea that so many gift cards go unused. Oh, yeah, tons. Yeah, and I want to circle back to that report that we're kind of referring to, the Deloitte study that they did. And they found that millennials, not Gen Z necessarily, they do not like to receive cash as a gift because they feel the lack of individualism. For those kind of gifts, they feel like, you know, the person who gave me the gift didn't spend enough time to think about what I need or what I demand or what would fit me better. Gift cards are a little bit different, I agree with you, because at least there are some thoughts behind it that, oh, I know you shop at Amazon, but here's your $50 Amazon gift card. But like again, receiving a $50 cash, even though cash is king and the value, the monetary value of it, and in terms of the face value, actually mo- probably is more valuable than other gifts because if there's a lack of fit, you can't do anything with that gift unless there's a gift receipt and there's an exchange process. There are a lot of things that goes in it. However, the lack of individualism or care that people find in a cash gift, especially millennials, they say that they, they do not want to receive cash gifts. That's so funny. My parents have been giving me cash probably since I was 10 for Christmases and birthdays and everything in between. <laughs> and do you like it? Do you oh, wish yeah. they wouldn't? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm well, we're very at the grateful. end tail of the millennials, yes. right? <laughs> yes, that's true. So, yeah, it depends. Um, but I can tell you teenagers like cash. They could shift too, yeah, like from one generation to another. That's what I was saying is we're not talking about Gen Z. We don't know much about Gen Z. Mm-hmm. But for millennials, at least this is a study that Deloitte did. I don't know, look carefully into their sample size, but they were reporting that the cash and gift usually are least desirable options for recipients because they're saying that the person who gave it to us, they didn't care much to learn more about us or spend some time to think about us. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about kind of the, the differences in different international communities and how it varies from country to country. Is there any research kind of in the differences between gift cards and cash and some of those other things from from country to country or region to region? I didn't find uh, specific data on cash versus gift cards versus experiential gifts. However, I found that in terms of gift giving, the size of gift giving and the amount that people spend, uh, UK is leading uh, in terms of the average they spent on gift giving is, is almost $1,300 per individual in the UK, $1,360, and the US is $1,300 on average, and Canada having the third place is $964. But I couldn't break it down into types of obviously gifts that they purchase. It was really hard to, because some, some countries, they don't track it as well as we do. So I couldn't find it, that, that information on that. Right, that makes sense that America tracks that religiously, right? So kind of switching gears a little bit, how does American gift giving affect like the yearly commerce cycle? Okay, so like based on seasonality and holidays and yeah. birthdays and that kind of stuff. I, I mean, for sure, the winter Christmas holiday season is the biggest spending gift spending season throughout the year in the u.s i'm I'm sure i mean i don't know the numbers for it but i can i 
put money on it if I had to. Um, Call for cash. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also used to work in retail, so like I've definitely seen like within these retail outlets or retail stores, the percentage of earnings from that quarter versus any other quarter throughout the year is substantially more. And so I, I certainly think that is how retailers will set up their sales promotions. They'll set up their inventory. They'll set up all of these things so that they can ensure that they make the sales goals they need to make in that fourth quarter in order to be able to compensate for the rest of the year. Can I also add a little bit of context to that? I agree totally with your point. So I also collected some stats on this one too. So I found that almost a third of all retail sales in the United States happening between Black Friday and Christmas Day, which is huge. Wow. The, yeah. Like basically a month and a half almost covers the one third of the total sales in the US. And I was looking at some digital metrics and I found that the ad impressions usually is increased uh, by 50% during the holiday season. Click-through rates rise 100% the direct traffic to the website increased by 150%, and the average order value, the size and order, the value, the monetary value of the order usually grows by 30% during this time. And the conversion rates also go up to 60%. So it's huge for marketers. So obviously, all not all months are created equally. So you have to budget for those. And in terms of the planning for the marketing and the supply chain and the delivery of the products to the shelves to make sure that that's the best time to make them available, in terms of the sales promotion, but also availability of the product is very important how you're going to budget. And there are so many different venues that you could advertise, promote your products through the online, offline channels and you know, email marketing and you know, social media, all those things. Yeah, even the products that you carry too. So that's when you'll see like a lot of the gift sets come out and like products or packaged products for gift giving specifically versus what you would normally buy for yourself. Right. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, just anecdotally, Black Friday, you know, that just passed. What did you guys buy on Black Friday? I bought a lot of stuff for myself. Nothing, seriously. Because they continue. I just don't yes. want to use one day. So well, so this is an interesting thing too, right? Like Black Friday used to actually be yes. like a day where exactly. everyone bought all the things yeah. in store on that day and would like fight for inventory, fight mm-hmm. for product. And so so stores had to back to this inventory slash um, making sure you're prepared Staff with training, staffing, the training, yeah. all of those things. They had to prepare for that one day. Now, Black Friday blends into Cyber Monday, blends into pre and post Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So the inventory has to stretch out further. They need to be able to staff longer and as opposed to that one day. So businesses have to really think through how these shopping holidays have changed and account for that. And on top of that, I agree totally with you. So they definitely stretch the time window for shopping for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So instead of being one or two days, it's usually a week or even beyond that. But also a lot of retailers, not to leave bad taste in the mouth of the consumers, they decided to do the price matching for a lot of items which were on sale during the Black Friday event or Cyber Monday because a lot of customers say, oh, I missed the you know, sales window. However, you guys advertise this, can you honor it? And then you know they usually do that as a respect to the customer. So they say that, you know, let's keep it for a longer period of time and you don't have to necessarily shop on Black Friday. That's why I didn't do it. So. <laughs> I was just trying to get it over with. <laughs> Is there any data on how much people typically spend, whether it be on Black Friday or just for the holiday season in general, and does it differ between America and other countries? Yeah, so I found that Americans last year spent $886 billion on gifts during the you know, holiday shopping. $514 billion of it was for the family, and the rest of it was work-related or friends-related. However, for this year, it's expected to grow that number to become $932 billion. And also, I found that, unfortunately, Americans are the first uh, you know, country that feel like they're in debt. 
after holiday shopping. So 22% of the population that which were studied by Deloitte, Americans indicated that they feel like they're in debt, followed by UK, 19%, Romania, 17%, and finally Australia by 14%. So Americans, we're leading in that, <laughs> that regard as well. So we spend a lot of money, however, we don't budget properly or we kind of overspend during the season when one in five individuals feel like they're in debt. Wow. Okay. Well, that is a perfect segue because, you know, what we're going to talk about next is layaway or buy now, pay later plans, right? So we've talked a lot about gift giving, but now let's kind of switch gears into how we pay for these gifts. Let's talk, what's kind of the history of this practice? Because it's not new, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I think we have been in like a society in debt for a very long time and that's how we spend oftentimes. And I think that's, it's an unfortunate situation for sure. I feel like that, but it's definitely been around for a while, but I don't think any of that's very new. Yeah, I think the history of it started back in 30s when we, we were experiencing Great Recession mm-hmm. and layaways. Um, and obviously, they're very popular. It started with retail stores kind of holding on to the products, so lay them away. So people made a deposit and a few installments. And after they finished these installments, they were able to come and pick up the product to help families to purchase for holidays and also budget for it. And it was very popular all the way to 1980s. And then things changed. So they thought that, you know, with the invention of and the popularity of credit cards, that kind of slowly went away. But again, when we experienced, again, another recession, if you remember, in late 2008, 2009, all the way stretched to 2011, again, the layaway practices returned. And still to date, a lot of physical stores, they honor it. I think like Big Lots does it, Kmart does it, Sears and Marshalls, but they're only in the store, not in the online environment. That's why you get the buy now, pay later kind of practice has become very common and we can talk about it. You know, how are they different versus credit cards and cash, all those things, whatever you want to talk about. How are they different? Like the buy now, pay later versus layaway versus putting it on a credit card? Sure. I think the layaway, they hold inventory for you, right? And you come and you make payments until you can actually pick up, like if you're buying a large TV or something like that, right? Buy now, pay later is the, you have a payment plan, I believe, that comes following probably directly with the retailer that sent it to you or with whoever, however they're building out their credit that they're allowed to give. And then credit cards are a completely separate entity, right? They're like a third party that you're borrowing money you're getting from this credit card company, and then you're paying them back separately. So it's kind of a separate entity. Yeah, and also the buy now, pay later, you can only have a short window to pay the whole balance. Usually is a structure, the most practices for four installment plans. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have more flexibility in terms of payment, there are some obviously fees associated with it. But layovers, obviously, they don't have that structure, so there's no fee associated with the installments. That's number one. Number two is if you default on the payment, they're reported to the credit card bureaus. Which and that's is gonna... buy now, pay later. Correct, okay. but not for layovers. Yeah. So for customers who are obviously vulnerable in terms of their credit scores or they feel like there might be a high chance of default for the payments, it's a safer option if it's available to them to go through the layover options versus buy now, pay later structure. But with the credit cards, obviously, uh, you pay interest. So if you put it on multiple installments, it accrues interest and it can go grow bigger and bigger. And the interest rates on the credit cards are quite high. But the buy now, pay later structure, usually the, either the interest rates are lower or there are not a lot of late fee payments or the penalty is very small compared to the credit cards. So there might be a better option for a few if they have access to those. So in your opinion, is layaway kind of the more consumer-friendly option of the three or is it just kind of depend on the financial situation of the individual who's involved? 
I think it, it depends on the situation of the customer, in my opinion. So again, if you have really low credit score or you feel like you know you may lose a job or your job is not necessarily 100% bulletproof or you may lose it in the future, labor is the, definitely a safer option because a lot of stores, if you don't complete the installment plans, they refund whatever you have paid with a very, very small you know, default fee that you have to pay to, you know, to, get, to release your money. But if those uh, you know, structure, you know, buy now, pay later kind of thing, you pay definitely higher fees if you cancel and it's going to hurt your credit score too so yeah right but the thing about layaway right or at least in my experience is it's only really good for big purchases right right? like a fridge or a washing machine or like a brand new e-bike or whatever but you can't just buy two hundred dollars worth of makeup and go to the store and say hey can i put this on a layaway plan right correct and also they're only available in store there's no online option so most of us obviously spend quite a lot of money and most of our shopping experience happens in online platforms and e-commerce websites and they usually do not have that you know flexibility to have layovers so that that's why the mechanism for buy now, pay later emerged and they're very successful because that's the only way. And if you look at it, there are usually two or three big players in that space and they, are, they have been structured very similarly. They all are there to help the consumers and the merchants to move the products and help the customers kind of make it more palatable in terms of the budget. Yeah, especially if they have a high price point product and they don't have all the cash rate at that time and they can spread out the payments for it over time. then it will probably incentivize them to buy more expensive things. Um, I think the one thing about credit cards too, though, is if you are able to use them and pay off your balance on monthly, you can get a lot of benefits from using them, a set that you wouldn't get if you were using like a buy now, pay later type of program, right? So if you pay your credit card bill off um, monthly, um, then you can get things like points and miles and some of those types of cashback benefits and things. And so again, back to the question, it, it really does depend on the financial literacy and the capabilities of the, the shoppers. We're kind of getting into kind of some, some nitty gritty details here, but are there differences between these, these buy now, pay later companies like Klarna and Affirm and do they operate a little bit differently despite being in the same space? Yeah, so in terms of structure, they're very similar. Both of them offer four interest-free payments, but Klarna offers more payment options compared to a firm. Both of them, they do a soft pull uh, for potential customers' credit history, but they do not affect your credit score whatsoever. A firm does not charge late fee, but Klarna charges a late fee of $7 or up to 25% of the installment. So if you want more flexibility, Klarna is an option to go because it allows you to pay off that purchase up to 36 months. However, if you're more concerned about the late fees, firm is the way to go and obviously there is no you know charge for a firm compared to Klarna. Okay got it and so you were saying that these are less likely to negatively affect your credit right? No they do if you default if you are late for the payment uh, or you do not pay the installment payments then they're going to be reported but they do not promote positive behavior meaning that if you want to build a credit history they do not help you to build the credit. The credit card are the best mechanism to build the credit so this mechanism for payments they do not help you build the credit for the good behavior, unfortunately. But they uh, obviously penalize you for bad behavior. Does it make sense? Oh, yeah. We talked a little bit about the incentive to buy higher-priced items. You had mentioned that. Are there any kind of back-end benefits these companies have for partnering with a buy-now-pay-later company just from an operations standpoint? Probably that they don't have to manage the like the payback of the money, right? They have a, an organization that is 
providing that service for them, and so they're probably the ones that are charging them money fees and like maybe having to even go collect their money at the end. Yeah, and also they kind of outsource the financing of their products, so they don't have to have an internal department for yeah. financing all the purchases. Do not offer financing options for consumers. The purchase may uh, seem out of reach, but with these mechanisms, obviously you kind of help the products, as I said, more uh, seem more affordable, and those mechanisms help to you know move the product faster. But you know they charge a merchant fee, obviously, and that's how they survive. So there is like typical loan lending machines, but so they they make money on the let's say late fees that they collect or on the installment plans if they stretch outside of the four installment payments. But also they charge merchants based on you know the purchases that consumers make. Then they, it could be commission based or percentage based or a flat fee. Got it. So we're talking buy now pay later. We're talking layaway. We're talking credit cards. Has there been an uptick? in people using this kind of buy now, pay later structure. You know, that goes for credit cards, buy now, pay later, and layaway. Is that something that we're seeing an increase in right now? Yeah, so I found that a lot of consumers are using the buy now, pay later mechanism quite a lot, more than even the credit cards, especially for smaller purchases, because credit cards usually come with bigger balances on a credit card, especially if you have a good history, you can buy major purchases with the credit card and get points back. But for smaller purchases, like small utilitarian or hedonic products, up to you know, $3,000, $2,500, a lot of consumers like it. And even most of the e-commerce, even famous e-commerce platforms allow it. So customers like it and budgeting for it is very difficult to do. So yeah, so definitely I don't have a lot of stats on it because again, each different group of merchants or e-commerce websites work with different platforms. So and they don't publicly advertise, you know, how they're doing, honestly. But uh, seeing that the positive trend, they show it in most of the e-commerce websites that you have that option. So thanks for coming on, Melissa and Ali, and happy holidays and happy gift giving. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks. It was awesome. Thanks again to our guests, Professors Melissa Akaka and Ali Besharat. For more information on their work and the sources used in this episode, check out our show notes at du.edu slash radioed. Tamara Chapman is our managing editor. Deborah Hawshaw is our production assistant. James Swearingen arranged our theme. I'm Emma Atkinson. And I'm Matt Meyer. And this is Radio Ed.